This is a page from the Peace Corps manual called What to Do If Attacked by an Anaconda Snake, which looks like this. So are you ready? Here's 10 things you can do to survive if you're attacked by a huge snake. Here's number one. Do not run. The snake is faster than you are. Number two, lie flat on the ground. Hmm. Number three, put your arms at your sides and your legs tight against one another. Number four, it gets better. The snake will come and begin to nudge you and climb over your body. Number five, do not panic. A lot easier said than done. Number six, after the snake has examined you, it will begin to swallow you feet first. Now we're all, all the way to step number seven. The snake will now begin to suck your legs into its body. You must lie perfectly still. Here's a comforting thought. This will take a long time. Now, number, number eight, step number eight is not for the squeamish or faint at heart, but here's step number eight, how to survive if attacked by an anaconda snake. When the snake has reached your knees, just imagine this, slowly and with as little movement as possible, reach down, take your knife, and very gently slide it into the side of the snake's mouth between the edge of its mouth and your leg. Then suddenly rip upwards, severing the snake's head. Step number nine, make sure your knife is sharp. And step 10, this is really important, make sure you have a knife. Today we're continuing our Bible study of the book of Daniel called Courage Under Fire. And here's the topic that we're dealing with today. How can I deal with a seemingly impossible situation? Now the reality is that very few of us will ever be confronted by a huge snake. But all of us will face difficult and at times, seemingly impossible situations. In fact, you may be facing a situation like that right now in your life. And you may be wondering if you're going to survive because it feels like you're being swallowed alive. This morning, as we continue our study of the book of Daniel, we're going to see how God wants us to respond to these seemingly impossible situations. So let's pick up the story as we begin chapter two. If you're using one of the brown Bibles that we provided for you. This is on page 719. This is verse one of chapter two of the story of Daniel. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. One translation says the king was terrified by his dreams. He's having nightmares and in those days, dreams were often associated with future events. So the king must have had the sense that something is going to happen to him. What does he do? Verse two. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Now, when you're troubled, when you can't sleep, when you're worried and anxious about the future, what do you do? Well, I want to present a number of options from this story, and here's option number one. Respond like King Nebuchadnezzar and turn to the experts. King Nebuchadnezzar can't call Dr. Phil. He can't go online and check out the psychic hotline. And so what does he do? He calls for these magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers. I read something interesting this week. It said that 25% of Christians in America believe in astrology. There was actually a website that I saw. It had pictures of psychics that you can consult with names like Mystic Misty or Psychic Sasha. 
And there was a drop-down menu. You can choose the kind of psychic that you want to consult. There's the love psychic, the life psychic, the dream psychic, and there was even a place to click to consult the Yahoo Swami. Well, here's the deal. When you're worried about a situation in your life, you can respond like King Nebuchadnezzar and consult those who claim that they can predict the future. Or, here's another option, option two. Respond like the king's advisors and rely on yourself. Here's how the story continues in verse four. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic. O king, live forever. Tell your servants a dream and we will interpret it. There's a philosophy in our culture today. You've seen it in, in movies, books, songs. It says that when you face an impossible situation, the answer is where? Yeah, it's inside you. We've all heard phrases like, uh, you know, trust your heart, look inside. The hero is in you. Well, those might be appealing ideas. There's only one problem. They're not true. And these astrologers are going to have a serious wake-up call when they begin to realize their own limitations. Because here's what happens in verse 5. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Now, how do they react to this statement from the king? Once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants a dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there's just one penalty for you. And then the king goes on and he says this, you have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. So here's what happens next. The astrologers answered the king, there's not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. It's impossible. And notice this last statement. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. Now, to their credit, the advisors to the king at least recognized that this problem, this impossible problem, requires a supernatural solution. Problem is, as they put it, the gods don't live among men. There's no connection between heaven and earth. So how does King Nebuchadnezzar respond now? This is in verse 12. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Notice this. One day, Daniel and his friends, who had been kidnapped, brought to Babylon. They wake up, and things are starting to look up. I mean, they're going to the University of Babylon. They're doing so well. They're on the dean's list. Um, they get to choose the food they want to eat. They're pretty healthy and strong. Things are really looking up. And then, all of a sudden, the bottom falls out. Everything changes in a New York minute. And isn't that true for us as well? You wake up one morning and things are looking up. Things are going really well and then you're blindsided. There's the knock on the door, the phone call, the email, the doctor's visit. What do you do when you're facing 
an impossible situation. Well, we have some options. You can respond like Nebuchadnezzar, turn to the experts. You can respond like the experts and try to find the answer within yourself, but there is a third alternative. Here's option number three. You can respond like Daniel because this is what Daniel does. First of all, he reacts with composure. Look at verse 14. It says, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel hyperventilated and had a panic attack. Oh, wait, it doesn't say that. Daniel spoke to this man with wisdom and tact. Wisdom, he said the right thing, tact, he said it in the right way. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. Now, there's a really important principle here, and the principle is this. When you face a crisis, get all the information you can and think before you act. That's exactly what Daniel is doing. I read this week that um, test pilots have a litmus test for evaluating problems when they're in flight. When something goes wrong, they ask this question, is this thing still flying? And if the answer is yes, then there's no immediate danger and there's no need to overreact. For example, when Apollo 12 took off, the spacecraft was hit by lightning. The entire console of the spacecraft began to glow red with trouble lights, and the temptation was to do something, but the pilots asked themselves, is this thing still flying? Is it still headed toward the moon? And the answer was yes, and so they just let the lights glow and addressed each problem, and before long, all those lights had gone out in the console. Now, when we face an impossible situation, if your thing is still flying, think first and then act. And notice what Daniel does here. Daniel asks a question and then he does something else. It's something everybody should do when they ask a question. What is that? When you ask a question, what's the first thing you should do? Yeah, listen. He asks a question and then he listens to the answer. And when you face an impossible situation, ask questions and listen to the answers so that you can clearly understand what you're up against. So when you face an impossible situation, what's the first thing you can do? You can tell me, what is it? React with, okay, let's make sure we're on the same page. React with composure. Here's the second thing you can do, respond with courage. Respond with courage. Verse 16, at this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Now put yourself in Daniel's shoes for just a minute. You hear that you and your friends, in fact all the wise men in Babylon are going to be executed. How do you think that would make you feel emotionally? I'm sure there's some degree of fear in Daniel's heart. And yet Daniel is courageous and realize this, that courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is moving forward despite your fear. And talk about being between a rock and a hard place. I mean, on the one hand, if Daniel does nothing, he's going to be executed. The king has already made the decree. On the other hand, if he decides to go to the king and try to somehow interpret this dream, he could be killed because you didn't just appear before the king. You had to have an appointment. And so either way, he could possibly face death. Now, here's a really important question for us to consider. In fact, this may be the most important thing from the message this morning. When you're facing an impossible situation... What determines your reality? Think about that. When you face an impossible situation, what determines your reality? 
See, for many people, their reality is determined by what they see with their physical eyes. Their reality is dictated by circumstances. Now think about Daniel. I mean, the reality, it seems, is that he's going to die. Those are the circumstances. There's been this, this royal decree that he's going to be put to death. But Daniel does not let that define his reality. And here's something else that often defines our reality when we face an impossible situation, how we feel emotionally. Because we can feel discouraged. We can feel overwhelmed. We can feel frustrated. We can feel hopeless. We can feel afraid. But for Daniel, his reality is not defined by his emotions. This is what defines his reality. What he knows about God. Now think about how our lives would change if when faced with an impossible situation, our reality is not defined by circumstances that we see or by emotions that we feel, but rather by what we know to be true about God based on the authority of his word. See, Daniel believes two very important things about God. And we talked about this last week. He believes that God is in control and he believes that God cares about him. That's the foundation for his life. And because of that belief, because of that, that certainty, he can have courage. Despite his fear, he can step out in faith. And think about us. Isn't that what it takes for us to have courage? To overcome our fear, to step out in faith, to know that God is in control and that he cares? And so let me, let me ask you this. As you face a difficult situation, an impossible situation, and maybe this is something that you're dealing with right now, or maybe it's something you will deal with in the days and weeks to come, where can you step out in faith? I think one of the first steps of faith is to admit, I can't handle this alone. I need help. Another courageous step of faith is to say, you know what? There, there are problems here that, that I need to talk to someone about. I need to go talk to a counselor. I need to talk to the pastor. I need to find some friends who can speak into my life and help me through this, this really difficult situation. And that leads us to something else that Daniel does, and this is on your outline. Recruit some companions. When you face an impossible situation, it's very important to recruit some companions. Look at verse 17. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. There's a story about these four guys that wanted to become closer friends by honestly sharing their struggles with each other. So they decided they were all going to admit, you know, something they're struggling with. There were four of them, and the first guy says, well, listen, I just... I have to tell you that I'm a compulsive gambler. I just can't stop. And I know it's hurting me, but man, I just, you know, I do it. And the next guy says, well, listen, I want you to know that I just, I lie all the time. I have a really hard time telling the truth. And the third guy says, well, um, here's my deal. I just, um, I drink too much. You know, I try to hide it, but I really know that I'm drinking way more than I should. And so the fourth guy's being really quiet. And the other guys go, hey, you know, let us know what you're struggling with. He says, well, I've been struggling with the same thing my whole life. And they said, what's that? He said, gossip. He said, every time I hear something, I have to repeat it to everybody I know. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to be a part of that small group? Is there a risk in opening your life to somebody? Well, we all know there is. Absolutely, there's a risk. But it's a risk we need to take when we face a seemingly impossible situation. We need to find people that will encourage us, people who will support us, people who will pray with us. And that's the last thing I want you to see this morning. 
in terms of dealing with an impossible situation. We need to all do this. Rely on your creator. Rely on your creator. Look at verse 18. It says, He, Daniel, urged them, as his friends, to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. You know, at the end of chapter 1, it says that Daniel and his friends were ten times wiser than all of the other magicians and astrologers in the whole kingdom. And here's why. Because they knew that a God-sized problem requires a God-sized solution. And it's so interesting that Daniel is urging them to pray to the God of heaven. See, the Jewish people understood that God is the one who made the entire universe. He is the creator of heaven and earth. And God, because he's the creator, is in charge of his creation and he cares for his creation. Now here's what I want you to see this morning, and this is so important. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, what does the word gospel mean, church? It's good news, good news about Jesus. The good news about Jesus is based on God's sovereign control and God's caring mercy for us. And here's what I mean. Now, you know the story in the book. So many of you know this, that God creates Adam and Eve and they disobey God. Now, when they disobey, does God just stop caring about them? Does he say, hey, hey, that's it. Good luck. Hope things work out. See, God loves Adam and Eve, so God pursues Adam and Eve, even though their sin has separated them from God. And that's true for us, isn't it? Because their story is our story. Our sin separates us from a holy God. And because God is holy and just, he has to punish every sin we've ever committed. And talk about an impossible situation. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. So what does God have to do? God has to step in. And God is actually writing the script. He's writing the story because he's sovereign. Because he can do this. He can take a tragic situation and use it for our good and for his glory. And that's what we see so clearly in the gospel. Because what does God do? What does God do in order for our relationship to be restored? Well, God the Father sends God the Son to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And talk about a challenge. Jesus lives a perfect life, one that we could never live. And then he offers himself in our place. Jesus allows himself to be arrested and beaten and crucified. Now think about this. Think about being a disciple and seeing Jesus on the cross. What would determine your reality in that situation? Is it what you see with your eyes? Is it the circumstances that determine the reality? Is it your emotions that determine the reality? Or is it the character, the sovereignty of God that determines the reality? If you know the story, you know the answer because Jesus Christ on that cross was dying for a purpose. God the Father is willing to put our sin on Jesus and punish him in our place. The wrath of God that we deserved is poured out on Christ. And when they take his lifeless body down from the cross and put him in a tomb, it looks like it's over. I mean, there's no way to recover. The mission is, is dead because Jesus is dead. But friends, this book says that nothing is over until God says it's over. And God says, it's not over. Because three days later, what happens? Jesus Christ is raised to life. And Jesus, this Jesus who, who loves you like nobody else, calls you to follow him. And he says this, look, if you'll, if you'll admit that you're a sinner, if you'll admit that you have 
fail to keep my Father's laws, if you will come and believe that I died for you, if you will choose to follow me, I will give you a new life. I will always be with you. And you can always call on me. And church, here's what I want you to see in, in closing. That this gospel out of which we live is a gospel that gives us hope in every situation, even impossible situations. And this message of the gospel is not just for us. I mean, if you're a believer this morning, I'm delighted that you stepped across that line of faith. If you've never trusted Jesus, today could change your life. Because God wants you to take the most courageous step you could ever take. Give your life to Jesus. Choose to follow him. And church, let me say this. I want to encourage you. Ask God who you can invite to come to this place. Who could be sitting in these empty chairs to hear this story about the, the sovereignty and the care of God in their lives? Because here's the deal. The people that you love, the people that you care about, no matter what situation they face, no matter how impossible it seems, there is hope because of Jesus Christ. The world is broken. And people are hurting. They're carrying years of past regrets, failures, and pain. They're lost in a fog of lies, disillusioned by what the world says is happiness. They've fallen into the trap of sin, desperate to become the good person they want to be, but powerless to change. Burdened, angry, and helpless. of power and love 
And when we truly believe this, freedom is found. Minds are renewed and hearts are healed. God moves when we step out in faith, when we let go of our time, our talents, and our treasure. God moves when we, the church, go all in. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I pray that your truth would transform us. God, I pray that you would help us understand just how, how much you love us, God, how committed you are to us. And Father, how committed you want us to be to you and to your mission in this world. Father, I, I pray for the people in this room right now that are facing really difficult and seemingly impossible situations. Father, I pray they would not give up, but rather trust you and step out with courage and faith. And Lord, for the person who's here today and for the first time is understanding the, the good news about Jesus, God, I pray that you would you would move them to make the most courageous decision anybody could ever make to follow Jesus. And listen, with your heads bowed, if that's you this morning, if you feel God um, tugging on your heart, then I would encourage you just to say this to God in your own words. God, I need you. I really need you. God, I've made wrong choices. I've sinned and I know that. And I believe today that Jesus died to pay for my sins, not just the sins of the world, but my sins. And I want to follow him. I want to give him my life because I know that the story is true, that he really is alive. So God, I don't understand all this stuff about being a Christian, but I know I want to follow Jesus. God, you always hear that prayer. You run to meet us. And Father, I pray this morning as your church that we would reach out to other people. God, you've given us this message of hope, but you never intended for us to keep it to ourselves. God, give us eyes to see people hurting around us every single day. God, fill this church up with people who need to know Jesus, because that's every single one of us. And Father, as you do that, we will praise you. And Lord, as this service comes to an end, I pray that our worship would continue throughout this day. God, I pray that we would worship you, and just be reminded of how great you are. The one who created us, the one who sustains us, the one who loves us like nobody else. So God, as we sing this last hymn of praise, may it fill your heart with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's